Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Monday, January 31st, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the lost history of moon trees. Not quite as exciting as it sounds, but still really cool. Plus, the lineup of new emojis that just dropped on iOS 15.4, as well as a new study showing how emoji use can be an early detector of remote work burnout. And Moderna's HIV vaccine has entered human trials. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. 51 years ago today, the crew of Apollo 14 launched into space aboard the Saturn V from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. In addition to Alan Shepard, Edgar Mitchell, and Stuart Rusa in the command module, there were also about 500 stowaways. The stowaways never made it to the moon. They stayed in lunar orbit with Rusa while Mitchell and Shepard collected rocks and played golf on the surface of the moon. Those stowaways were seeds, five different species of tree seeds, which would later be germinated on Earth and planted across the United States, some at bicentennial celebrations a few years later. And there was a lot of buzz around those seedlings at the time, but within a few years, most people seem to have forgotten about them, including a lot of the folks at NASA, even those who were there during the Apollo program. When David Williams, a planetary scientist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland, got an email from a third grade teacher in Indiana asking about a so-called moon tree, neither he nor anyone in his office knew what she was talking about. That was 1996, and the teacher, Joan Goebel, had been tipped off about a tree by a student when the whole class was working on a project about trees in general. The sycamore in question, which stood at a nearby Girl Scout camp, had a plaque beside it describing it as a moon tree, but having never heard of that before, the teacher reached out to NASA for more information to share with her students. This mystery prompted Williams to hit up NASA's office archives where he managed to unearth newspaper clippings about the moon trees from the 70s. He kept digging through and eventually became the go-to expert on moon trees, as well as the person responsible for tracking all of the trees that were planted back in the 70s. Thanks mostly to Williams' research, here's the story that's been recovered. Apollo 14 astronaut Stuart Rusa had previously been a smoke jumper, the kind of firefighter that jumps out of planes to fight wildfires. And when the chief of the U.S. Forest Service heard that Rusa would be going to space, he proposed the idea of taking some seeds with him. Taking the seeds to space would raise awareness about the U.S. Forest Service and the work of smoke jumpers, but also be an important experiment to observe the effects of deep space on the seeds. Growing crops and other plants in space is a common experiment these days, as space agencies study the effects of extreme conditions on various species and also work towards more sustainability for longer missions. But in 1971, there were a lot more questions around what might happen. Stan Krugman, a geneticist at the U.S. Forest Service, was put in charge of picking out five different species of trees for the mission. He went with loblolly pine, sweet gum, Redwood, Sycamore, and Douglas Fir. The Douglas Fir is the most exciting to me because I so badly want to see a Christmas tree that has been to space, or like the seeds of it had been. Anyways, Rusa packed the 500 seeds, or perhaps as many as 2,000 reports vary, in separate plastic bags and inside a metal canister. 
The seeds stayed with him in space for 10 days, but when he touched back down on Earth, the metal canister burst open during the routine decontamination process, scattering the seeds everywhere and exposing them to the vacuum. NASA feared the experiment had been compromised, but luckily Krugman was on site to separate the seeds back out by species and then made an attempt at germinating them in Houston. People were somewhat surprised that the seeds did indeed germinate, alongside control seeds that had not been to space. They were sent to a more adequate location to grow, and then eventually gifted to state forestry organizations, universities, NASA centers, and landmarks around the country to be planted. Some were even planted in Brazil, Switzerland, and Japan. And though no records exist, some people think there may be as many as 15 of these moon trees in the United Kingdom. Last spring, the Royal Astronomical Society put out a call for any information people may have about potential moon trees in England seemingly just based on a hunch. They could be right, though. To date, Williams has located about 100 moon trees of the 500 to 2,000 seeds that were taken on Apollo 14. And, I mean, frankly, even 100 seems like quite a lot to me, but given how poor the record-keeping was, I wouldn't completely rule out moon trees in England. Just because Kew Gardens and the nation's main space observatory don't have any records of receiving the seeds doesn't really mean much in this particular case. And why such poor record-keeping with these seeds? Williams told the Atlantic's Marina Corin that the whole thing was really more of a PR stunt than a science experiment. The casualness with which they were still grown after being exposed to the decontamination chamber probably tells you that. While there was a lot of fanfare around the trees being planted, and it was certainly interesting to see that none of the moon trees seemed to be any different from their control counterparts, it wasn't something NASA felt was important enough to keep a close eye on. But for the last 25 years, Williams has been keeping a close eye on it. He's built up a database of all of the moon trees that he's been able to track down, with accompanying information about the ones which have sadly died. As these were western species of trees, the vast majority of the moon trees are in the west and south of the U.S. There are a ton in Oregon and Washington, but there are a fair few on the east coast as well. The NASA link in the show notes will tell you where all the trees are if you want to try to find one near you or spot one when you're on a trip. I seemingly need to take a trip out to Oregon, Washington, or Arizona because those are the only places that still have Douglas fir moon trees standing, and I really want to make this Christmas tree from space dream a reality. Not that I, I would cut it down, just like I want to see it, and you know, if they let me decorate it for Christmas or something, all the better. Actually, what I would really love to do is get a seed from one of the Douglas firs and plant my own Christmas moon tree. And second-generation moon trees are actually a thing. They're called half-moon trees. Two sycamores, one at Mississippi State University and one at Florida University, sell seeds from their moon trees, so anyone who wants to plant a half-moon tree in their yard can do so. NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, for example, unfortunately lost all seven of the original moon trees that were planted there, but they do now have a half-moon tree on the property instead. And David Williams himself has a half-moon tree in his yard. Also, this database of his is still a living document, so if you encounter a tree with a plaque proclaiming it to be a moon tree and check the database and it's not there, email David Williams. Chance encounters like that are the primary way that he's collected data over the past two and a half decades. 
Now, why do I think these moon trees are so cool? I mean, after all, it's not like they are trees that we tried growing on the moon. These seeds technically never even went to the moon. But they have been to space. They've been somewhere I'll never go. And they were part of something bigger. For something with such a recent history, they were also somehow already lost to the history books until David Williams came along. They've got a good story to them. I think Marina Corrin summed it up quite well in the conclusion of her recent piece about moon trees for the Atlantic, quote, That's why people see the moon trees as special. They know where these seeds went. Reaching the moon doesn't take long. Apollo astronauts took just three days to get there. But it's the moon. People haven't stepped foot on the lunar surface since 1972, and it's unclear when the next crew will go. All the trinkets and tchotchkes that the Apollo astronauts took with them in their personal canvas bags are cool for this reason, bestowed with a magical sheen the second they were returned to Earth. Space souvenirs. But the seeds that Rusa, who died in 1994, carried feel different from other mementos. They weren't put in museums or auctioned off. They were buried in the soil of the Earth, the only soil like it in the solar system, in the entire universe as far as we know. Some might have disappeared, felled by storms or saws, before someone could find them and feel curious enough to ask NASA about them. But the ones that remain are living monuments to the time humankind escaped this world's gravity and felt that of another. End quote. iOS 15.4 has arrived for beta testers, and with it, the new slate of emojis that Unicode announced back in September. Some of the emojis we're getting our first look at the Apple version of include a troll, a disco ball, a lotus flower, bubbles, a crutch, a melting face, some more hand gestures, and a whole bunch more skin tone combinations for the shaking hands emoji. And the most interesting update to me is a new emoji called face with open eyes and hand over mouth, which is exactly what it sounds like, and Apple had one before called face with hand over mouth. But the problem was that on some platforms, that emoji, which looked like a neutral, surprised, maybe kind of concerned face on Apple, had smiling eyes and blushing cheeks on other platforms, making it appear more coy, you know, as if the user were maybe laughing at something. Now, emojis look different across platforms, that's just how it is, but when the connotation is different based on the look, it can get people into trouble. Because if I'm using an iPhone, and I tweet the face with hand over mouth emoji in response to something, I might mean that I'm surprised and a little concerned. But if you're using an Android and see my tweets, you'd see the blushing and laughing version, so it looks like I'm making fun of the thing that I'm reacting to. Totally different meaning, and that exact situation got Jamila Jamil in trouble on Twitter a while back when half of users thought she was making fun of something that she wasn't. So Unicode added this other emoji, face with eyes open and hand over mouth, that will be standard across all platforms, and iOS 15.4 makes the old face with hand over mouth emoji have the blushing and smiling eyes to match every other platform. So no more emoji gaffes here. 
But since we're talking about emojis, while I was perusing Emojipedia, I came across a recent study that used emojis to determine when remote workers are burnt out. Specifically, remote workers, because as the article in Fizz.org points out, when you're in person with coworkers, it can be easier to tell if someone's having a rough go of things. You know, maybe they're more withdrawn than usual, laughing less, maybe they've got a short temper. With remote work, emotions are easier to hide or harder to observe. A team of researchers from the University of Michigan's School of Information used machine learning to track emoji use in work-related conversations on GitHub's remote worker communications data, training the model to predict dropout of developers based on emoji use. Quoting Fizz.org, They found that workers who regularly use emoji to express emotion, positive or negative, in their work may have better emotional health and are naturally less likely to drop off the platform one year later. The team found that by using their machine learning model, they could predict dropouts with 75% accuracy, end quote. Now, I do think individual variance in emoji use is probably more subjective, and there's a lot more psychology that could be unpacked here, but it's an interesting premise for a study, and if anything, a good reminder of how tough it can be to look out for one another in remote work environments. If your coworker sends you that new melting face emoji, or worse, no emojis at all when they usually dot every Slack message with them, maybe reach out and ask if they're doing okay, or just send them some of these new bubble emojis to let them know you're thinking about them. At the end of last week, Moderna and the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative announced that human trials for Moderna's HIV vaccine have officially begun. 56 HIV-negative participants are receiving varying doses of the vaccine, some a primary dose, some a primary dose and a booster shot, some just a booster shot. According to Engadget, they'll be monitored for six months to gauge the safety of the vaccine, and then Moderna will examine the immune response the vaccine triggers at the molecular level to determine its efficacy. Quoting Condé Nast's Them, the vaccine builds on technology developed by Moderna during their COVID-19 vaccine production with the goal of using mRNA to boost HIV immunogens and prevent the virus from disabling B cells, which are essential to fighting disease. Although medicines like PrEP and antiretroviral therapy have proved somewhat effective in slowing the spread of HIV and reducing its mortality, the virus is still a threat to global health nearly 40 years after it was first identified. Scientists hope to conclude human trials next year in 2023, coinciding with HIV's grim 40th anniversary. End quote. And over those 40 years, multiple HIV vaccines have been attempted. According to Clinical Trials Arena, between 1988 and 2003, at least 35 Phase I trials were conducted, none of them proving effective. Just last September, Johnson & Johnson discontinued the trial they were running. While the vaccine was safe and well-tolerated, it produced only a 25.2% efficacy rate. Clinical Trials Arena explains part of what makes an HIV vaccine so tricky. Quote, Antibodies target specific proteins on a virus's surface, but HIV rapidly mutates during viral replication. The problem with HIV, scientists found, is that the viral envelope glioprotein, which is the main target of neutralizing antibodies, is tremendously genetically diverse. The virus continuously outruns the immune system. End quote. 
Moderna is hoping mRNA will prove the solution here. Quoting Engadget, Like the company's COVID-19 vaccine, the new treatment uses messenger RNA to trick the human body into producing proteins that will trigger an immune response. Moderna hopes the shot will induce a specific class of white blood cells known as B-cells, which can then turn into broadly neutralizing antibodies. Those proteins are widely considered to be the goal of HIV vaccination, and this is the first step in that process, said the company. End quote. With such a long history of failed trials, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much, but it does sound fairly promising. In other Moderna news, the U.S. FDA has finally granted full approval to the company's coronavirus vaccine, five months after Pfizer-BioNTech got their full approval. Moderna's vaccine has been under emergency use authorization up to this point, and now that it is fully approved, it can be marketed under its official name, which I had completely forgotten, is SpikeVax. Now, I've gotten Pfizer for all three of my doses, a.k.a. Comernity, but dang, if we have to get another, I want to get Spikevax, because how cool is that? I feel like if there's any macho dudes out there who've been reluctant to get vaccinated, you could maybe convince them with some sort of late-night testosterone pill commercial style of marketing of Spikevax. Crush your enemies and prove you're a man with Spikevax. You know, like, let's get some retired NFL players hawking Spikevax on Instagram. I mean... Tom Brady is going to need something to do now, right? One word, spike vax. All right, well, that's going to be it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.